Our first conversation on this series called Available, My Life in God's Hands, all about the gospel, this good news that God through Christ is for us. And I want to invite you, if you're in a small group, to continue with us as you go through your devotional. And if you're not in a small group and you'd like one of those devotionals, you can pick one of those up in the uh, Welcome Center. And it gives you a daily devotion to go through that. You're actually following through the text that I'm sharing each weekend. And uh, you can prepare for our time together. But as we talk about the gospel, I want to talk about it in three aspects. Number one, what is the gospel? I think we need to be very, very clear and specific of what the gospel is, because especially in theological terms right now, it's kind of become, that word has become the junkie drawer. We had one of those in my house. Whatever you didn't have anything to do, you just put it into the junkie drawer, and then you shut it so that the table, you know, the table could be cleared or whatever. And many times we just say, well, it's the gospel, and we just put it in the drawer, but we don't explain exactly what the gospel is. So I want to share with you what the gospel is. Secondly, I want to talk to you why. Why must, not, not on, you know, why must I share the gospel? Why is it something that really is my whole purpose? Why? And number three, I'd like to say how. How do we share the gospel? As I talk with Christians, this is one of the greatest fears, is that they will have to share the gospel with people. <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy? The greatest news ever given to you, and one of our greatest fears, is that I'll have to talk about Jesus with someone. And actually, if you talk to people who don't come from a faith perspective, this is one of their greatest offenses, is that someone shares Jesus with them. So there's a reason to be afraid to do this. People are not naturally, yes, tell me about Jesus. And so we need to do this with kindness and respect, but we need to do it reflecting the first church bold proclamation of the gospel. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, what is the gospel first. And as we talk about the gospel, I just want to give you four phrases. God sees us. God sent Christ for us. God saves us in Christ. And God sets us apart for Christ. That's the gospel in four statements. And I know that you're struggling to write them down because those are in your notes. But we'll go slower so that you can do that. Let's take a look at this first one when we discover what is the gospel. And the first thing I want to say is God sees. He sees. When he looks in this world, he sees us. We're not alone. He is with us. He sees us. I love what Proverbs 15, 3 says. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So what do you see when you look at the world around you? I, I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy that right now our country is being struck by a major storm system in the southeast uh, coast, and there are fellow brothers and sisters uh, who are struggling right now, not just to have church, but to live in their homes and to deal with the flooding that's there. So we remember them in prayer, and we let them know not just we see it, but God sees it. And I know this might be a tension right now in your heart, that if God saw the pain in my life or the pain in this world, what would he do? What would he feel? This news, this truth about God that he sees everything is liberating in the sense that we're never alone and we're never outside of the eyes of God. But it's also intimidating, right? Because another passage in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Pretty intimidating, isn't it? God sees there is nothing hidden from his sight. We are not just known to ourselves. We're known by God. 
And we can post as many posts as we want on Instagram that our lives are awesome and our wives are smoking hot or whatever you want to do on that. But God sees. God sees those arguments you have every week. God sees even the intention and the motivation in your heart. And we can fake it, but we can't fake it with God. And he knows, he sees. So what does God feel when he sees your life? Because God doesn't see things like I see things. And that's something that we need to think about. I look at someone who's offended me or who's missed an expectation, and I tend to look on them with judgment. I look at someone who doesn't agree with me or who is someone's not living like me, and I tend to go, my life is better than yours. Ha! Better! Better! As long as I'm better... I feel good. If you've offended me, I want to walk away from you. My eyes are disappointed or my eyes are hurt. The Bible explains that God sees everything about us and chooses to love us anyway. When he sees us, he loves us. His looking moves into a longing to love us. It's interesting about God because God knows everything about us. He sees everything in us and around us and chooses to love us Anyway, and so therefore, when God sees, he also sends. And he sent Christ for us. I love what John writes about the love of God in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. You see, everything about Jesus when he was sent to this world was all a part of the love of God. John writes about this earlier in John 3, 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This whole picture of everything about Jesus was all about life. He absolutely loved uh, people to follow him and live for him and give them eternal life. God sent his son. God's love for us in looking moved to his love for us in giving. He sent his son. So that when Jesus lived, he lived for us. He lived a perfect life for us. When Jesus died, he died a final death for us. And when Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day, his life is ours in the name of Christ. And so through Christ, God saves us. God saves us in Christ. Paul really develops this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And before this, in Ephesians chapter 2, it's like you were once dead in your transgressions and sin. You were once uh, enemies of God. And and God was... uh, God was opposed to you, but now look what it says. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Look at this final. By grace, you've been saved. You see, salvation, as, Paul, as Peter says in uh, Acts chapter 4, he says that there's no salvation in any other, for there's no other name by which we've been saved. Jesus is our salvation, and God sent Jesus to be our salvation. That's how God saves us. There's many who believe we can save ourselves, and many of us are trying to save ourselves with God, with life, with success, and, and God says, no, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Jesus must save you. And because of that, it humbles us all. We all fall short of the glory of God. 
I can be better than you in areas I choose to be better than you. And you can be better than me in areas you choose to be better than me. But all of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. And when we agree to that, we need to realize all of us then need saving and only God can save us. God did that in Christ. So that whoever calls on the name of Jesus, whoever trusts in Jesus will be saved. And once you're saved, here's the gospel. God doesn't just stop there. He sets us apart. God sets us apart for Christ. Paul develops that further in Ephesians 2.10 where he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this passage because that word workmanship is a Greek word. It's called poema, which literally means we get our English word poem. In other words, we are God's artistic masterpiece. Look around this room. You are priceless. You are eternal, beloved of God. Uh, The world can call you garbage. You can view yourself as garbage, but God says priceless, eternal. He gives value. He gives significance to everyone. And once you've been saved, it's not just get out of hell free card. I'll live like hell until Jesus comes. No, it's, it's being set apart for his glory. The gospel still is to be preached to us that this is good news. This is great news in our lives. The best news ever offered, the best news ever received. And, and this work is not that, not that good work get you in or keep you in. It's that once you have trusted Christ and been saved by God, you set your life in God's hands. Being available with the gospel is basically saying, God, whoever you want to put in front of me, I'll be faithful and I'll speak the gospel. I don't know how that's going to go. You give me the words. You give me the opportunities and I'll be faithful to speak the gospel. God sets us apart. And, and there's one more, and I thought about it last night after I preached three messages on it, so I'm sorry, but it comes as no charge. God sends us out now. So God doesn't just want to keep you in your house limited. He wants to send you out. And we then get a chance to walk in the footprints of Jesus. As Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, we are sent from this church out in the world to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news. And it is great news. This is the gospel. So what's your response? What's your response to the gospel? Some of you have heard this and believed this. Others of you, this is the first time you've been in a place where the gospel's actually been explained. And you get it. You get it. And it's a relief because it's not up to you to save yourself. It's up to the person and the work of Jesus. And so it's, refre- it's received as a free gift. What do we do to receive this gift? Well, the scriptures are clear. Turn from your way, from your sin, to trust in the only one who can save you. See, a, a lot of people believe that we can try harder. And if I just try harder, I won't do that ever again and I'll be a good person. And God says, no, turn from it and trust me. It's not in trying, it's in trusting. It's not in doing, it's in trusting what's already been done on the cross for you. So we always look back to the cross. And the cross never gets stale in this church because it's by the cross that the ground is level and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. I want to encourage you right now, if this makes sense to you, to right now make a decision for faith. I am going to turn from myself. I can't save myself, never have been. I will trust in the person and the work of Jesus. I will trust him right now. Say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to this world to save me. I trust in him as my salvation. 
I turn from my sin. I trust him. I put my life in your hands. However that's going to look, I trust you. And if that is your heart, welcome to the family of God. Salvation is through the person and the work of Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the gospel preached. It's the gospel received. So now that you have the gospel, now that you have the gospel, what do you do with it? Why? Why must I share the gospel? Why is this a must thing for me? Um, And here's the short answer. Because God says so. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. (laughs) No, it, it is definitely the command and the heart of God. But Paul really brings it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, whether it's uh, old school, like mine, or digital, open it up right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 16 and following. And as we read this, I just want you to look for this. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I've done some research on this word woe. I've interpreted it from the Greek when it was written in the New Testament. Here's what it means. Woe. It does. And you don't want God to say woe when he looks at you. Jesus has some of his greatest, greatest pictures of confrontation came with the word woe to you Pharisees and hypocrites. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Why is the gospel something I must preach? I must speak. Let's take a look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 16. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity has laid it upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will. I am still entrusted with the gospel. What he's basically saying there is, whether or not I want to, I'm still entrusted. I am entrusted with the gospel, the greatest news ever offered, the greatest news ever received for humanity. Whether or not I want to, sometimes I want to and it's a reward. Other times, it's a stewardship. It's just something God has given me that I can't contain. I've got to give it. He goes, so then what is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul said, I'm never getting rich preaching the gospel. That's not who I'm going to be. I don't even take payment. I'm a tent maker so that you never think you owe me anything. I want to owe you the gospel. I want to owe you the debt of love. He says, for though I am free from all, this is going to mess with us in an American mindset. For though I am free from all, all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Wow, that's something we need to really, look at. That. For though I am free of all, or from all, I have made myself a servant. By the way, the Greek says doulos, which that means slave. I'm a slave to all, that I might win some. This is a challenging passage. What does it mean? Well, it shows us why. Paul was absolutely convinced he was going to share the gospel through suffering to the end of the earth, by life, by death. He was going to share the gospel. Why must we share the gospel? Reason number one, because Paul believed it and we should too. It is the greatest news ever offered to everyone. The gospel is not offered to a select group of people. It's offered to everyone. That means everyone, people you like, people you don't like, people you know about, people you don't know about. This world right now, this world right now, 7.6 billion people, billion people. 
the United States has about 325 million. That's 4.4% of the world's population. Think with me. That blows my mind every time I think about it. 96% of the world's population is outside of the United States. 96% of people who are priceless and eternal are outside of the United States. If I'm not careful, I will think our 4.4% or even medium-sized town named Topeka, Kansas, is all there is. And God's love is greater than just Topeka. We're in Topeka, and we have a strategy and a purpose in Topeka, but we are not it. You are not it. I am not it. It's the greatest news ever offered. Here it is. God wants to be reconciled with you. And he's done everything you need to be brought back. He needs every, he's done everything you need. He, having Jesus is enough. We just sang it. All I have is Christ. Enough. That's the gospel. It's enough when you have Christ. And it's offered to everyone. So let's just go personal with this. Everyone in your life deserves the right of the gospel. Everyone in your life deserves the right to hear the gospel. People you work next to, people you live next to, people you live with who haven't yet trusted in the gospel, people who don't believe the gospel, people who don't vote like you, people who don't believe like you. Everyone deserves a right to the gospel. Paul believed that, and it just moved him. He put his life in God's hand and said, everyone deserves the right. So he went everywhere to reach everyone with the gospel. Secondly, Secondly, it's the greatest news ever received by anyone. Paul writes in Romans 10, he says, whoever, that means anyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the glory of the gospel. Anyone, the worst of us, the best of us, who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That's a promise from Almighty God that anyone who receives this gift of Jesus and his work on the cross will be saved. First of all, do you believe it's the greatest gift you've ever received? Hello, Sunday morning at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Do you believe it's the greatest gift ever given and received by you? Thank you. Because by your singing, I was beginning to question. I have Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is. Last fantasy moves. My life. Really? Really? Here's what I saw. I saw a difference. I saw a difference between that song and we went before the Lord and we actually recognized his presence with us when we actually received his forgiveness by confession and when we lived by faith, not by sight, when we said those words, there was a difference. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Okay, I'll stop singing. (laughs) There was a difference. There was a difference. And you were proclaiming the gospel to each other by singing that song. You told the story of the gospel. There's a difference when we actually believe that it's the greatest news ever received by us. And if you're not excited about that, you're not going to be excited about sharing it. If you believe you're the greatest thing, which I am apart from Christ, when I am not with Christ, when I'm not walking with him, and I'm not thinking about him, I'm the greatest person in my life. 
and I will be threatened to share the gospel. Sharing Jesus is a threat to yourself, no doubt about it, but it's also liberation from yourself because you get to share someone greater than yourself. It's the greatest news ever received by anyone. And then thirdly, but because to share it is to fulfill your purpose. This is the picture that Jesus gives us once he saved us. Your purpose is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you. I'm with you until I come again. We are We are assured of his presence with us when we are preaching the gospel, when we are sharing the gospel with people. So to do it is to fulfill our purpose. I know we've got a lot of research and a lot of time. What's my Enneagram? Look at these nine things that are fluctuating, and I finally found the way back to myself. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. I'm an Enneagram person. I like that. But that's not your purpose. Use whatever wiring you are to advance the purpose of the gospel. That is what you're all about. Oh, Joe, come on. I'm in high school. I'm in college. Once I get my career, then I can preach the gospel. Once I get a solid position in leadership, don't hogwash. Do you know I've never met more people than when I was in high school and college? Why? Because God just flipped the deck every hour. And I had seven hours in my day. I moved from class. 30 more people. Everyone deserves the right to hear the gospel. I moved to gym class. Daunting class for me. Don't let me climb the rope, okay? I'm, I'm from the rope years, okay? 80 people that God placed in front of me to live out the gospel. Folks, we're not in process. We're in the purpose of God by living out right now with everyone everywhere living out the gospel. God wastes nothing. Joe, I'm single. I've got to be married before God can preach the gospel through me. Then God won't use 50% of the United States of America because they're single. Paul was single. Don't let anything limit you. He didn't see it as a limitation. He saw it as an opportunity. By the way, when God brings someone, if he does, don't you want her or him preaching the gospel with you? Run towards God and someday look to the left or right and someone will be there. But some of us will be single the rest of our lives. If I, my wife becomes more important than Jesus, here's what the Bible calls it, idolatry. If my kids become more of my identity than the identity that Jesus has given me, it's called one thing in the scriptures, idolatry. And God is offended by that. Mike, I love my wife, love my kids but they can't be the most important thing about me. They can't be my purpose in life. My purpose is to make Christ greater in my life, through my life, through my marriage, through my parenting, through my pastoring. Greatest is to fulfill my purpose through the preaching of the gospel. So we know why. We know why. Hopefully we understand it's the greatest news ever offered. It's the greatest news ever received, and it's ultimately part of our purpose. So how? How do we do this? Well, let's look at what Paul says, and he's going to show us how to share the gospel by how he shared the gospel. Look at this as we continue reading in the same passage in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To the, those outside of the law, like the Gentile world, I 
I became as one outside of the law, though not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, and this was literally the marginalized of life, to those who weren't in the academia world or they weren't in the success route, they were people, he said, to the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have, this is really offensive in our American culture, so hang with me. This is where the gospel liberates us. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul saw it as a blessing. He didn't see it as a burden. And we need to see it as a blessing. Remember, it's the greatest news ever offered, the greatest news you've ever received, and it's your purpose. So how? There's three things I want to draw from this, and there are many more, but I want to draw on three. The first one is this. We have to see others the way God sees me. And if you think that God is out to get you and he's keeping a list like Santa of who's been naughty or nice and bad things happen to bad things and the expectation is good things, my good things happen to good people, then we will realize that we have a very limited view of God. See, God wastes nothing. And we have to start viewing people the way he sees people. And this is going to wreck our hearts. It's going to wreck our pride It's going to wreck us, but it's also going to expand our capacity to love people. How you view people matters. And the one who has to teach you how to view people is the very God who created and crafted you, who sees you, who sent Christ for you, who saved saved you through Christ, and who now sets you apart for Christ. We have to see people the way God sees me. It means we open up our hearts, we open up our lives. Christians... We cannot afford to be self-righteous. I know that some of us go, I've got Jesus. Yes, I do. I've got Jesus. How about you to the world? You know, we just point that out, and it's like some kind of chant. We got to get over that. That's just, it's not even good at a high school football game. (laughs) We need a better picture. This love ought to humble us, and we ought to see us. We ought to pray every day, God, help me to see people like you see them. Help me to love them the way you love them. That's huge. And here you got Paul. He had all the rights and all the privileges of a wealthy and exclusive Jewish man as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And when he met Jesus, it just wrecked him and it totally repurposed his life. And instead of just a select few he was willing to hang out with, he just said anyone, because everyone is worthy of hearing the gospel. We've got to pray for God to move our eyes to see. Secondly, we need to give up our rights to give others the right to hear the gospel. This is a huge threat to our identity because we in the United States absolutely love rights and we love privileges. Paul was willing to step away from those. And here, I just want to say this. If you have been saved by Jesus, and if you follow Jesus, you will learn this simple principle. Those who follow Jesus give up the right to live however they want to. Those who follow Jesus give up the right to live however they want to. Oh, but just God wants me to be happy. (laughs) He's made you holy through Christ. And he set you apart for his purposes in Christ. It's not any way you want to live. That was before you met Christ. And, And we shouldn't judge people who are living however they want to live because that's what we do without Christ. But when we have Christ, 
We give up our rights for him. And what do we find? When we give up on ourselves, we really learn how to live. When we die to ourselves, we know how to live for Christ. That's how we live. We've got to be willing to give up our rights and privileges. Rights and privileges, if we're not careful, will lead us to the same neighborhood with the same neighbors who spend like us, who think like us, and, and keep, we just keep up with our neighbors. We've got to give up that right, and we've got to get into the gospel so that others can uh, have the right to hear the gospel. Um, by the way, is there a right or privilege that you have that is just has too much of a power in your life? Is there something that you value so much, a position, a status, an accomplishment, a success, an organization that gives you so much pride that it's keeping you from getting the gospel to others? We need to confess that and walk away from it. Not that we quit those groups, but that they just don't become important, as important as the gospel and Jesus in our lives. And can I just say one more thing? Because when we don't have rights and privileges, there's a longing in our lives for them. And God answers that in the gospel. John 1.12 says, whoever believes in him has the right to become a child of God. The gospel liberates us all for those rights. And then the gospel also gives us privilege. We are beloved children of God. What we have now and who we are right now is not who we will be. But when Christ appears, we will be everything he's created us to be. We will have great privileges in that. And it won't be to thwart or show others how great we are. It will be give, to give glory. We'll be we'll having these desires and the capacity to express praise to God with. But right now we give up our rights so that others have the right to hear the gospel. And then finally, we got to cross lines. We got to cross lines to bring others over the line of faith. Paul said to the Jews, I live the law. To those who weren't Jews, I related to them also. And you'll see that in a lot of his messages, like specifically the one he preached in Acts to the Areopagus in Athens, a non-Jewish audience that he was able to speak a relevant message because he learned how to speak to people who weren't like him. He crossed lines to bring others over the line of faith. This is really key for us, folks, really key for us. Because we like lines. We like boundaries in our lives. We like to keep people out, and we like, to, we like us to light, invite people in. And God just takes the boundaries that we have set up in our society and tears it apart with the gospel. So we've got to be willing to go to some uncomfortable places to bring others over the line of faith. Paul says it five different times in this passage, just in the amount that we've read here. He says five times to win some. In other words, you aren't going to win everyone with the gospel. Not everyone's going to believe the gospel in your life, but some will. Some will. You are not responsible for saving people, and therefore you're not responsible for their answer. But you are responsible with the practical living and giving of the gospel with everyone God puts in front of you. We've got to cross lines to bring others over the line of faith. You know, one thing that we do here at Fellowship is called You and Two. And it's just a really practical way to begin. To begin right where we're at and allow God to move us to that next step. And we think about two people already in our lives who we can share the gospel with. I remember when I first preached the gospel in front of a group of people, I sweat so much, so much, 
that the passage I was reading had a pool of sweat in the Bible. I know the first message I preached. Why? Because the, the rice paper in my Bible just crimples up on that from there, okay? And I said, I will never preach again because I just sweat like crazy. And then someone who was in my life who means the world to me to this day, Chip Bernhardt, said, Joe, who can you preach to that you don't sweat with? And I said, high school students. That's how I started my ministry. And God moved in repetitions. The more I shared the gospel, the easier it became. Now I'm 53. I still sweat. It just doesn't pull in my Bible. (laughs) And I'm able to do this because God has worked with just being available. And it's his power through me. You know, God could do this with so many other people. He could have angels appear in this room, just fill it with a legion, light up the room, and some Morgan Freeman voice go, I have come to save you through Jesus. But instead, you've got a 53-year-old balding guy giving you the gospel this morning. I never, I never imagined when I said yes to God, join him in ministry, what he had prepared for me. I just want to tell you, this is not me. This is God through me. And I am so honored to share the gospel. The greatest news ever offered to me, greatest news I've ever received. I really believe that. I wake up every Sunday and every Saturday excited to share what the good news could look like, given a vision for the good news in each one of your lives. And it excites me right now to think that if everyone who trusted in Jesus had two people they were praying for, Two people, they were being intentional, putting their life with the gospel in God's hands and allowing him to speak through them. I know that just this weekend with the people God has entrusted to us, if we all had two, there would be a major spiritual awakening in the city of Topeka if just us responded to this. Did you know that? If just we believed the gospel, received it, and walked and shared it. There would be a major spiritual awakening in Topeka. That's what gets me excited with just this room. In a few minutes, God is going to send you from this place. And he's going to send you to people who are against the gospel. Matter of fact, this is a culture that is set up to counter the gospel, to not be people of faith. And everything about it is set up contrary to the gospel. It is resisted, probably more so than it's ever been. We are not a Christian country. We are post-Christian, folks. It's just who we are. 16 to 32-year-olds, 16% are connected to a church in our culture. 50% of every seven-year-old has never been to a church in our country. Folks, there's a resistance to it. So we must be gentle, and we must be respectful, but we must be bold. I want you to write two names down on your notes there just their first names, and I want you to begin to pray for them. Because the story of our story here as a church is you and two. We have the names of two of our friends, and when we poured the foundation for this room as well as our previous room, we wrote the name in wet cement of people we want God to use us to reach so that we can fill this expansion. I just want to tell you, God has done that. There's stories of friends who brought their friends to the front and said, you won't see it, but underneath that stage is your name. Before I shared the gospel with you, I just prayed. I prayed that God would give me an opportunity, and now you're part of the family of God. I've never had a person who said, man, why'd you do that? They've always said, wow, thank you. Thank you. If we believe it, if we've received it, 
Let's live it. Let's give the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I commit each person in this room to you. Each person who has known you, even if it was today, they put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that as you set us apart for your purpose now in advancing the gospel through our lives, everywhere to everyone you put in front of us, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be greater in our lives, that our appetite for you would be greater, and that we could share in the blessings of you saving lives through our lives and our faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel. I trust every name that was written down in this room, and we ask that you would repair their hearts, that we would listen to them. We would not treat them like a sales pitch, but we would just share our lives and what you're doing in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would work off of that and through the clear proclaiming of the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Paul writes in Romans 10, something I want to send you out with this week. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't like my feet. They're ugly. But when I'm proclaiming the gospel, God says they're beautiful. So make your feet beautiful. And as they, you walk out of this place, walk into a world where you can shine as lights in darkness, making Jesus greater. You are now sent. God bless you.